0: With another psych topic, I know you've missed me since we talked about psychosis and you've been intently waiting for what I would discuss next, which is the other most understood psychiatric diagnosis, which is bipolar. And instead of like, I know for the other episode, I was like, let's label it psychosis since people can be psychotic and not have schizophrenia. Right. I struggled with that. A yeah. Lot. yeah. <laughs> but I, essentially this time I'm going to talk about mania. And I'm more talking, if we're going by the DSM, I'm talking about bipolar one, not bipolar two. Um, and I can get more into that. Please. Potentially in a little bit about like why I'm choosing to focus on bipolar one. So we do have a guest today. Hello.
1: Do so you want to introduce your name? Yeah, so I am, depending on what you know me from, yeah. I'm either EM or Erica. Um you can yeah I can call introduce the rest yeah. <laughs> I was just like I don't know if I should call her
0: Erica or Ian e. so I was like introduce yourself <laughs> introduce your <laughs> name so I am gonna call you Erica so Erica is one of my absolute lifelong best friends we have been best friends since we were about 18 maybe 19 so going mm. on a decade now yeah and we met because we grew up in the same uh, crazy Christian background and it's somehow, it's called a cult. Yeah, what yeah. it is? It's a cult. It's a cult. And somehow we we came out okay. Maybe not okay. I don't know. But either way, we came out the same way.
1: Medium adjusted. <laughs> Maybe not well adjusted. Just <laughs> medium.
0: Yes. Um, but since then, we have gone through many things together and still stayed quite great friends. I love it. BFFs, if you would, um, if you would call it that. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Anyways, (laughs) Erica is going to share her story towards the end of this episode. But in the beginning portion of this episode, I'm just going to break down like what mania is, how we treat it, different things about bipolar disorder. So a lot of psychiatric diagnoses, you know, they're all listed in the DSM. And the criteria in the DSM is essentially the purpose of it is we had to make criteria for things so that we could conduct research on them. So that's the real purpose of all this. And with like schizophrenia and bipolar, I honestly think these things are more of a spectrum, but we have to make rigid criteria so that we can, for, for research purposes. Um, so that being said, For bipolar disorder, bipolar disorder can be diagnosed as long as someone has one manic episode at any point in their life. And this manic episode, so we'll go into what mania is in a second, but it's not a physiological manic episode if the person's like, if there's an explanation for it as in the person is on drugs. Or, for example, it's quite common that people will be started on an antidepressant. And then develop mania. And Paxil mania. Yes. Yeah, so, like, in that case, you know, the person probably is on the mood disorder spectrum somewhere, but not necessarily bipolar. And obviously, if it goes away when you stop the yeah, medication. Yeah, exactly. So, let's go get into the diagnostic criteria for mania. So, if I was assessing a patient and what I would be thinking about for mania would honestly a lot of people they could even present as like depressed or something else so often you take a history and you go through certain symptoms but obviously if you are talking to someone and it's clear that they are exhibiting some of these symptoms then you just go you know that they're manic so some of the things that we look for and this is going off the dsm the first thing that you can sometimes ask, like, let's say you're taking a history, was there ever a time period in your life when you felt great, Um, you know, this period lasted for longer than a week? And a lot of people are going to say yes, and it it doesn't mean that they were manic, which is why you need to pursue some other symptoms and get more specific. So the first one of these would be grandiosity. So someone has grandiose delusions, that can be like thinking that you're, Jesus, or that you're going to be president of the United States, or often just that.
2: You or know. that you're connected to them. Like, yeah,
0: you yeah. know, you know, you're superior in some way, and I just feel like you have to add Kanye West here. Yes. honestly. Um, <laughs> yes, no, I mean Kanye West. It he is outspoken about the fact that he's a bipolar diagnosis, so we can use him as an example. Um, and he will. What does he? I mean, I'm pretty sure he posts that he's like God and things like that. He has like an every, album that yeah. is basically "I Am a God." Yeah. So there you go. Well, we mean we, Kanye, you are great, but you are not God. Um, you know, Erica, we were we were
2: really between you and Kanye having us <laughs> as as our guest, and
1: I'm really honored that you chose. Her. We we yeah. chose you. There yeah. was no
2: you no you just wanted other some reason. Female
1: perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We wanted you. So another thing is pressured speech, and I will say, other physicians they'll tell me that a patient has pressured pressured speech all the time, and it's not actually pressured speech. So pressured speech is where you almost like you really cannot get a word in. The person is just so spitting out words, you like try to interject and get your question in there. And you literally cannot. It's so difficult. You just like give up after hearing them rant about, you know, how they're going to take an online course and become a doctor too for like five minutes. And they're going to go to Puerto Rico and save everyone from the hurricane or whatever they're talking about.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And, and I also noticed that if, I'm, if I don't realize that it's pressured speech and I'm listening to someone speak, I, I want to kind of jump in, but then the subject changes really quickly.
0: And that goes to some of our other symptoms that you can look for, which is flight of ideas. So they're like spewing out like one idea after another. It's always going to be sort of like Often grandiose in nature, something about they're going to save people somehow, they're going to do something, they're really intelligent, they work in a lab. It's often like it almost doesn't make sense a bit, but you know they're telling you about all the really cool things. They often have connections to the FBI Mm -hmm. or the government or whatever. Um, Very distractible, like you can't get them focused on your interview at all because they just want to tell you all the stories about all the crazy stuff that's going on. And obviously, another thing that, can happen is these patients can become agitated pretty easily usually it's because you're someone is saying something that goes against their uh you know their grandiose (laughs) beliefs about themselves and someone is you know maybe or maybe it's just the fact that now they're hospitalized and they can't just leave the hospital that could upset them so it's it's things that are setting them off and now they're agitated So another thing that can happen in mania, and this is really what often gets people in the most trouble, is they engage in really risky behaviors. So this can be like spending sprees of thousands of dollars they don't have. It can be um, like uh, unsafe sexual behavior, a lot of uh, unprotected sex with multiple partners, Mm -hmm. um, investing in things that are going to go awry, throwing thousands of dollars into investments. So that's all great. like going to medical school. (laughs) Yes. Oops. (laughs) Oops. I don't even have an excuse for that. That was not mania. That was my own choice. (laughs) But the thing that psychiatrists look for most is decreased need for sleep. So because the other things are a little more subjective, but sleep is objective. So someone who's manic, they – the. Like what you would look at is maybe like a week plus with three hour, about three hours or less of sleep a night.
2: But they feel good. They're pumped. They're ready to go. I have to interject here from with my neuro glasses on. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, sleep is very it's related to a lot of things that a lot of diseases and disorders that were previously thought to be strictly psychological, but actually have Mm -hmm. a very strong neuro basis. Um, And, you know, as we talked about in our sleep episode, it's sleep is governed by a group of neurons in the brain in a specific part of the brain. So it's so interesting that sleep is so, you know, critical to this diagnosis, because it tells you this is a real, real problem. And it's, you know, another thing that I want to ask you is, is do you ever come across a situation where you're like, well, you know, this, maybe this person is acting this way because they haven't gotten any sleep, like they're sleep deprived versus sleep being part of the diagnosis?
0: Um, no, because I think sleep deprivation presents in, you you know, most people aren't like energizer bunnies after getting no sleep. They might be you know, saying weird things or doing weird things, but it's a bit different with this. It's like, I am, had, I only slept two hours and I'm pumped and ready to go. And I'm going to go save some people and I'm going to go do this. And I have a, I have a talk with the CIA later, you know? So it's like, it's very, pretty specific, which is why we utilize it the most. So usually, sometimes you'll go through these things and people like you, you're clearly not witnessing a manic episode right now, but you're trying to for whatever reason discern if they've had history of mania in the past. And like, maybe it's you're a psychiatrist and you're in an outpatient setting. It's your first time seeing a patient. They have some complaint and you want to pick the right medication for them. So, but when you get to sleep, that usually clears it up. Mm. People will be like, no, no, no. Like there's never been a period of time where for longer than a week, I was only sleeping a couple hours a night and felt absolutely great about it. Um, So, yeah. And the idea is that if someone is truly manic, they will eventually land themselves on an inpatient psychiatric unit or in jail. And that's because it should be causing dysfunction enough. In society. Yeah. That like, you know, if someone really is doing all these things, someone is either going to take them to a hospital or they're going to be like wild in public fighting with someone at Applebee's, Mm -hmm. throwing punches, and they're going to go to jail. So, one of them should eventually happen, and obviously, it can take a while because manic episodes can last a pretty long time. They are causing you know, pretty bad effects on your body the whole time because even though you feel great mentally, you know, physically, your body can't sustain that type like of stuff. burnout, yeah, like and burnout. yeah. And then that's where we the depression comes in, and that aspect is if you do ride so high. then your body is going to have to go into some sort of depressive episode. Even though we don't use that to diagnose, that's pretty common. The person will also end up having like a few months where they're lying there like listless because their body's recovering from sustaining mania for so long. Like a come down. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to touch a little on the epidemiology and etiology. So we believe that about 2% of people in the world meet criteria for bipolar disorder, but I would say that, you know, we're going to get into this a bit. Bipolar disorder is overdiagnosed. Um, and I think that might include bipolar, too. Don't quote me on that. But either way, based on how much I've seen bipolar, I, I would say I probably think it's more like one out of 100 people, more closer to
2: 1%. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's higher than I
0: thought. Yeah. Yeah. And could if anything would be a little lower? I think we see a lot more like psychotic people and people of schizophrenia than people with true bipolar one, I think is
2: actually quite rare. So let me ask you a question. Um, We talked in our psychosis episode about self-medicating, and we mentioned that for a lot of psychiatric disorders, You, it has to be in the absence of any substance yes. use. Do you ever see people kind of masking or c- confusing the symptoms because there is concurrent alcohol or yes. substance? Yes,
0: so I mean that you get consults on like, someone's totally drunk and the consult is like for psychosis or mania. It's like, oh my God, well, they have a point two alcohol level. This is being drunk. Right. This is not mania or psychosis. Um, but on the other hand, you know, someone could be manic and self-medicating. Like, alcohol is a depressant, so maybe they want to come down, so mm-hmm. maybe they're drinking alcohol. And then, on the other hand, like, a lot of people like the feeling real, like, high, high, and, like, well, could use cocaine or something like that to-, to get themselves back to yeah, that feeling. To, yeah, to keep feeling that way. And obviously, when you're in these episodes, you don't have the best judgment, and you're much more likely to use substances or make bad choices. So, some other stuff is that there's equal rates in both men and women, Mm -hmm. both genders, and there's no difference in like ethnicity. Um, It's more commonly diagnosed in people of a higher socioeconomic background, but obviously that's just because of better access, let's be real. Yeah. So, the onset is usually before age 30. The reported average age of first episode is age 18. But I will say that in people with true bipolar disorder, I mean, I've seen plenty that didn't get the diagnosis until they were much older. And who knows if they were just having like milder episodes that flew under the radar when they were younger. And then they're like 40 or 50 and they're landing themselves in the hospital. I've seen this with a lot of guys, a lot of men. Mm-hmm. Um and who knows if they were just like really high functioning or if they had more had hypomanic episodes than when they got older, developed like full blown mania. That, I mean, my thought is that people can definitely fly under the radar. Yeah, you know,
2: when you really look back and you're really honest with yourself, okay, things, you know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you're right. Things have been kind of off since yeah I was 18. Yeah. yeah. And then
0: of all major psychiatric di- disorders, bipolar actually has the highest genetic link. So First-degree relatives of patients with this disorder are 10 times more likely to develop it. Wow. Which is like a big, big deal. Yeah. So another thing about bipolar, which you have already sort of touched on, is like clearly this is a lifelong illness. 90% of individuals who have a manic episode will have another within five years. And then something to take note of is that up to 15% of individuals with bipolar disorder will end up completing suicide. And the thought is like when you're manic, you're really impulsive. So let's say like you do something and it upsets like your significant other and now your significant other is leaving you or whatever. Mm-hmm. That impulsive person who's not in their right mind could go hang themselves. They could do anything in the moment because they're not thinking clearly. So that's sort of how to conceptualize that. I don't... I think it's more likely for the bipolar person to kill themselves in a manic episode, not in a depressive episode. Interesting. And I think in general, like manic and psychotic episodes can be more dangerous because like the reality is a very depressed person can't even find the motivation to end their life. Right. But mania, you're like, you're pumped up. So something bad happens and now it's easier for
2: you to form the plan
0: and yes, yeah. You just like you have a lot of energy. So yeah, and that's you know, that's why you gotta take these things so seriously. So luckily in this day and age we do have a lot of treatments. The first line for bipolar is still gonna be mood stabilizers and lithium is still the gold standard drug to use. So it's first line for both mania, but it also really treats the depression as well. It's one of the only psychotropic medications shown to reduce suicidality, and it's the only mood stabilizer that reduces suicidality. So I think sometimes it ends up getting, like as a last resort, used in straight depression because of the, that it's known to reduce suicidality. Um, But obviously this is not an easy, risk-free medication. It is. Absolutely (laughs) not. Yeah, It's metabolized by the kidney, Especially in the early days in the '80s, when this was, you know, a newer drug and people weren't monitoring appropriately, a lot of patients ended up with kidney failure, with various, um, you know, have to be on dialysis, have damaged essentially to every organ in their body because these medications were being dosed highly, not monitored appropriately. So it's it's very important to, you know to monitor these medications correctly or it can cause really terrible things that might even be worse mm-hmm. and more harmful to the person than if their mania hadn't been treated at all So, sure. or whatever they're being treated for. So there's a very small therapeutic range for this drug, and after we initially start the patient on the medication at the dose that we think we're going to stick to, you have to have them on it for like four to five days, and then you can check a level and see if it's w- – considered within the therapeutic range. And, you know, the person can be on the lower or even below the minimum therapeutic range. But if they're clinically better, that's great. But we obviously don't want to hit higher because then we could cause, you know, really bad things right. to happen to them.
2: And this is where I think the phrase, the art of medicine comes in. Yeah. You're balancing the risks of a higher dose with the benefits of their quality of life that they're that they're experiencing, mm-hmm. hopefully from the medication.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, at toxic levels, we sort of already discussed all the things they it can, it can cause, but keep in mind, alter mental status, tremors, convulsions, delirium, coma, and ultimately could cause death. Um, some other things we do have to monitor for is nephrogenic diabetes, insipidus, weight gain, thyroid issues, I think can cause... A lot of these medications can cause like acne and stuff like that, which is going to be a concern for your younger patients. Sure. Um, and if someone's on this and they get pregnant while they're on it, it can cause a cardiac defect called Epstein's anomaly. So that's an unfortunate uh, side effect of most of the mood stabilizers. If a mother is on it and becomes pregnant, they're gonna ha- there's a high risk for for their babies.
2: Do you prescribe or you know, do you in your practice think that it's important to kind of really make sure they're on birth control and do pregnancy tests or how do you kind of manage that? So the
0: thing, so like if someone comes into the hospital and they're in a manic episode and they're pregnant, we're going to treat the mania because untreated, the outcome for both mom and baby is way worse because clearly someone out on the streets manic is, could, they could end up dead quite easily. But you know, If someone needs one of these mood stabilizers to, you know, stay stable, I couldn't in my right mind, like really, I would really want them to strongly consider not getting pregnant and look into alternative methods of other options for them. Um, And I don't think many people that need these medications and are really stable on them tend to I think they understand that and I think most don't end up getting pregnant on the medications it's more the people who are unstable get pregnant now they're in a florid manic episode and now we have to treat them so I actually yeah. have a follow-up question yes. to
1: that so when I was on Lamictal for a few years I was told that I couldn't be on birth control um hormonal like the pill birth control because um, they would sort of cancel each other
2: out so then you're manic and pregnant and lamictal is very sensitive to hormone levels so it's multifactorial
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so i think lamictal isn't one of the medications that we're as concerned about patients getting pregnant on obviously all these medications have risk but it's 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 as far as i know it's one of the safer ones and you could potentially, if a patient is stable on it, they could consider getting pregnant on it.
2: I, I do, I have experience with this because Lamictal is a seizure medication as mm-hmm. well. And um, Lamictal is tricky because you have to taper it very, very yeah. slowly mm-hmm. We're gonna on get into that and off. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times if someone has epilepsy, we will transition them from whatever they're on to Lamictal or Keppra. so.
0: Yeah, so. Going back to lithium, and we are going to go into lamictal in a second. We're going Sotinata. essentially from, like, mm. the t- the first, oldest, gold standard medication for mania, and then we're going to work our way down through other options for bipolar that are commonly used. If they're not commonly used, I'm not discussing them. Sorry. Bye. So... Another thing that you have to consider with lithium is there are a lot of things out there that increase lithium levels. And as we already know, that's concerning because of all the stuff like kidney failure and even death that can occur from toxic levels of lithium in your system. So NSAIDs, which is essentially like ibuprofen, which is also Advil, and obviously there's a bunch of other names for it. Mm -hmm. NSAIDs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, these can all increase your lithium levels. So when you are a little psych resident and you're covering your psych unit you attending will probably yell at you if you put in pure and ibuprofen on your lithium patient i think oftentimes patients might not be educated enough on this so a lot of them will be at home like popping their advil but hopefully someone will discuss this with them at some point another medication that can increase lithium levels is aspirin my favorite <laughs> and then thiazide diuretics so those are the types of medications that can increase it then dehydration, so like sometimes you'll hear a story about a patient's like outside in the summer and they are, you know, mowing their lawn and it's really hot, it's 100 degrees, and then they're presenting with, you know, altered mental status, tremors, convulsions, delirium, things like that. And it's because this picture of dehydration, uh, losing salt in your body by sweating or anything else, these can these can all cause your lithium levels to go up high.
2: And maybe more commonly um, vomiting and diarrhea. Cause, yes, you know. yes.
0: Good, good point. And then also, it, obviously, if you're, since this is metabolized through your kidneys, if your kidney function changes at all, um, like if it's impaired, that could change the lithium levels. So the other first-line option for manic episodes is known as valproic acid, but more commonly known as Depakote, um, and this is uh, also considered to be superior in the patients who are having maybe manic episodes where they're irritable or they're rapidly cycling nope. from depression to mania, depression to mania.
2: Depakote is my top yeah. top
0: five favorite medication. Yeah, and I think I think honestly, I see more psychiatrists pick the Depakote over the lithium. These days, and it's because we, I mean, lithium, it's a great, great drug. But, you know, you do worry about causing medical issues in your patients. Depakote also has to have monitoring of levels, like, you know, the whole thing where you put the patient on the dose that you expect. They take it for like five days, and then you do a level check to make sure they're in the therapeutic range. Depakote is once again... Not a medication that someone would want to take and get pregnant on because there is concern for neur- neural tube
2: defects, such as. Um, do you want to give some examples? That's your forte. Oh, geez. So the neural tube is what it sounds like. It's a tube, and it from it develops the brain and the spinal cord. And um, Depakote can lower folic acid levels. I believe that it's it's related. Again, I don't have this in front of me, um, but a neural tube defect is you could either have spina bifida, where the lower portion of the spinal cord doesn't completely form properly, or anencephaly, which is when the top of the head doesn't form properly. Mm-hmm. Now, spina bifida can be asymptomatic. You don't even know you have it benign. It can be debilitating, but anencephaly many times is just not compatible with life. Yeah. And oftentimes,
0: I think it can be discovered on like an ultrasound and the physician will encourage you to terminate the pregnancy since it's, again, they're going to die anyways. Um, I mean, it's sad, but sometimes it's best to let the suffering be as limited as possible. Absolutely. So if people are on the Depico or the Lithium and for whatever reason, you know, they're having side effects or it's not working, then we can go to uh, consider other drugs such as carbamazepine which is also known as Tegretol. once again this is considered to be a great drug for patients who have those mixed states or rapid cycling bipolar unfortunately the levels once again need to be monitored and that's that's a hard thing with all these mood stabilizers um you know it's uh it can be difficult for the outpatient psychiatrist who maybe doesn't want to monitor levels and the patient doesn't really want their levels monitored. And, you know, it's just, well, it's just, it's just a hassle. So, but it is what it is. With th- this medication, some of the concerns specific are Stephen Johnson syndrome, which is a life-threatening skin rash. And then we call it SJS. And mm-hmm. then you can also have elevated liver enzymes that can lead to hepatitis Once again, neural tube defects if taken while pregnant. And then this one has, um, there's something that we learn about in in medical school, the whole medications that are metabolized by cytochrome P450 and all these interactions. And this is a medication that has many interactions with the medications that are metabolized by that system. So if you have a patient on one of those, you're not going to want to give them this. And when it's given in toxic quantities, it can present with similar symptoms that we discussed when we talked about lithium, but you wouldn't have to worry about, like, uh, kidney failure. So getting into lamictal or lamotrigine... This is going to be our first line option if a patient's main complaint is, well, they have bipolar, but they have um, more severe depressive episodes. Obviously, if you have issues, like if those other drugs don't work, you might end up going to Lamictal for someone whose main complaint is mania. Um, this one, the big the big side effect that we worry about is that SJS, Steven John- Johnson syndrome, um... So once again, the life-threatening skin rash.
2: It's your skin sloughing off. Yeah,
0: essentially. essentially. Yeah. And so with this medication, the risk is really high for SJS with Lamictal. So you have to start at a really low dose and you have to, you increase it to a therapeutic dose over two months, which is a very long time, which is also another reason we don't really like it for the mania because you need to get the patient out of the manic episode quick right so if the medication is going to take two months to get to therapeutic level obviously that's not ideal um we i've essentially never seen this started on a patient in a hospital because of that because you'd have to keep them for two months so there are and i'm going to get into some of the other considerations but this is generally going to be someone who's stable enough and they're going to get started on it in the outpatient setting like they're not you know
2: and they can follow the taper schedule yes. because it's it's confusing. I We write it out like it's like mad. Yeah, it's
0: actually really yeah. hard. Like you have to send the patient out with like so many scripts when yeah. you're doing this and it's like complicated and if it's difficult for a doctor to figure out, I can only imagine that it's difficult for the patient too. Yeah. But one positive of Lamictal, which is why your outpatient psych will love it, no need for levels. Nope. And realistically, there's a lot less side effects than what we've talked about with the other meds. And like we talked about with you, Erica, there's no like absolute contraindication to getting pregnant on this or anything.
1: Unless you don't want to get pregnant. <laughs> like,
0: unless you don't want to get pregnant. <laughs> so the other and medication in the mood stabilizer category that I want to mention is I know we mentioned carbamazepine and this sounds pretty similar and that's the other name for that is Tegretol. then this is oxcarbazepine also known as trileptol so this that, by the way. yeah it obviously they're actually confusing like if I didn't have this written out in front of me like I do get them confused I'm not going to lie it can be difficult
2: and then there's a third generation oh, <laughs> oh my god my my epilepsy attendings are going to kill me eslidocarbazepine there's a third one
0: I'm sure the reason I don't hear about that yet is because I usually know the most about medications When they are, you know, uh, generic and they've been out for like 20 years and they're getting covered by insurance, because most of my patients can't really, you know, afford that other stuff, obviously, if your insurance isn't going to handle it. So, as far as the oxcarbazepine or trileptol, it's as effective as the carbamazepine, but it's better tolerated and there's less risk of sjs and less concern for hepatic toxicity okay so now i am getting get into what happens when your mood stabilizer isn't enough so oftentimes in the hospital setting the mood stabilizer is maybe helping but not helping enough the patient you find out that they're still like wandering the hallways all night or whatever so at that point, we often add an antipsychotic. So it can be, you know, it could be Abilify. It could be Risperdal. It could be any of them, really. There's no specific one. Um, actually, probably not Abilify as much because Abilify can be stimulating, which is not what you want for a manic person. But let's say you want to treat the depression a little better. But I th- I'd say the number one that we would go to would probably be like add in like Risperdal or something like that so that can help and obviously if you've tried multiple mood stabilizers multiple antipsychotics and it's still not working you can always go to ECT electroshock therapy I have seen manic patients that needed this the manic patients that did need ECT were had such severe mania that they were psychotic and they were delirious and not really aware of what was going on, agitated, requiring a lot of PRNs, requiring four-point restraints. So it's not common that we go to ECT. It, it really is like a last resort, and usually someone's going to respond well yeah. to the medication. But if someone is that manic, that severely manic, it is life-threatening. So
2: right, it can kill them. And the way that you know. The vibe I get when you explained it was that ECT is a last resort because, you know, it's it really is it's a very dramatic thing, but I don't. We'll talk about it in another episode, but I feel like it it, it shouldn't be. Don't sleep on ECT. It oh yeah, ha- it can do wonders. E- ECT is underutilized, but that's because there's a
0: lack of resource. Like right. it's it's not at many hospitals. It requires a lot of rounds. Right, um, people might need maintenance treatments. So the idea, even for a bipolar person that needs ECT, is you would never use ECT for maintenance. You would get them to the point where on their mood stabilizer, their antipsychotic or whatever they need, then they're going to be stable. So that's about all I have to say from a psych perspective. Well, not everything. Obviously, we're going to get to more stuff. But I do want to hear from Erica about her experience being diagnosed with bipolar and what that was like for her and what her thoughts are on everything and what her symptoms were and what is her own conceptualization of all of that
1: yeah so um I guess I was always very prone to sadness and depression It sort of like you said runs in my family my grandfather is like famously bipolar um and untreated now that I know um, my father like might have been um it's all kind of like hush hush because they're all part of that generation yeah. that's like we just don't talk stigma. about this mm-hmm. yeah the stigma um so I had always just been kind of sad but it was almost expected because I was a musician I was an art mm-hmm. student all this emo um, it was very emo mm-hmm. yeah like the hot topic age um but then once i got into my early 20s i feel like i started having some weird behavior that over time might have raised some eyebrows that looking back now i'm like why did no one hospitalize me like um i just some examples i flew across the country to get some dick mm-hmm. um Can I say that on here? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah, yeah, My eyebrows (laughs) are already meeting criteria
0: for a hypomanic episode, which we can discuss a little bit of the difference between the two.
1: Yeah, I actually ended up, like, getting there and feeling really weird about it, so we just Mm -hmm. cuddled the whole time.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: I flew across the country to cuddle with someone.
0: I remember that.
1: Um, I quit my successful job in TV to start a company with someone I barely knew who it turned out, like, I just found out, like, six months ago was just stealing from us the whole time. Mm-hmm. So um, those are a few things that I didn't happened. know that update. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are just a few things that happened that I guess eventually you were the one who was kind of like, maybe you should get some help. Yeah,
2: putting it all together in hindsight.
1: Yeah, because it would – I mean, I feel like then I did fit some kind of criteria for some kind of – something or Mm -hmm. other because it's Mm -hmm. just these are not normal things yeah
0: I remember thinking and I don't know if I use probably in my head it's a little weird especially when you're younger and you sort of know things but you don't really know things so you don't want to like label your friends but I remember thinking that she was having uh symptoms consistent with like hypomanic episodes for sure like be real pumped up Mm -hmm. let's go to New York this weekend. Let's go visit <laughs> this person. Uh, you know, let's Le- not, <laughs> I, I just want to
1: fall in love. Yeah. yeah. Basically. yeah. Like, you know, strive to decide,
0: decide. Yeah. Decide that someone's your soulmate. Let's go visit them. Let's not worry about the cost. Let's not worry about anything. And I think it in like hypomania can be, it can be really pleasurable. It usually doesn't affect you Enough that you're gonna land in a hospital or a jail or anything. Like you maintain some semblance. Um, it, it can even make people really productive. Like if you have it's that. definitely I'm, yeah
1: yeah. That's what I started my blog was yeah. probably in like the height of hypomania. Yeah,
0: they they theorize that um, Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg and a lot of very successful people have hypomanic episodes because oh, they it. they have stuff consistent with it so I mean, what about Elon Musk I haven't looked into him but I <laughs> I mean he's I don't I don't know I don't I think he's a little boring he probably doesn't have it he's I just think He weird. just does a lot of coke yeah he he might do a lot of coke and then therefore could could have symptoms <laughs> consistent with hypomania
1: yeah um but eventually I did get help and that's when I got my bipolar diagnosis I think Kind of mentioning the family history was like the first sort of red flag mm-hmm. um, that yeah, my sure. um, the I went to see like an NP. Um, she was kind of like, okay, so this is an op- like this might be, and then I kind of told her like, oh yeah, and then I quit my job, and then. I- I flew across the country and, oh, I got married to someone I hadn't lived with. Like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just all things that, like, were normal for like, me. Back but in, like,
2: the 1950s, that's what you did. You yeah. flew across the country to get some dick. No, you, you, like, you didn't live together before you got married. Yeah. So I feel like there's people that are like, oh, what? Yeah, yeah.
1: I know. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? Yeah. But then it was just all very normal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So she put me on a billify. And I think it was a mix of me having this explanation for what I like finally had a name for the way that I was acting that I couldn't explain that I it gave me carte blanche to just wild out. And then also, I just think Abilify was a terrible fit for me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any opinion on that?
0: I mean, you know, at each person is an individual and like you cannot always predict how someone will respond to medication. It's a bit of trial and error. So you think Abilify made you worse, like more hypomanic?
1: Yeah, I mean, I got to the point where I was on Abilify where I would be driving home. Mm-hmm. Back when I was sort of like working part time in Jersey and living in Philly, and I would like pull over because I thought people were following me. <gasps> so I do have some thoughts on that. Earlier in the episode, well, first I, of all, it's not even first
0: line. Yeah, we so so just went through it. So first off. If you do suspect that someone has a bipolar disorder, you should be picking a mood stabilizer first. On top of that, when I earlier in this episode, I was like, oh, and you could add an antipsychotic like Abilify or Risperol. And then I was like, wait, you wouldn't really add, because, you know, sometimes I'm not, I don't have these episodes totally prepped and I'm just speaking out of like whatever because I'm s- saying antipsychotic. So then I'm just naming an antipsychotic literally. But I corrected myself and I was like, Abilify wouldn't be a good choice because it can be stimulating. So if someone's already in mania, you wouldn't want to give them the stimulating antipsychotic, Mm -hmm. which is a really good choice for people who are like who need the stimulant. Depressed and psychotic. So Mm -hmm. I would not have made that choice. So it's not surprising you had a bad reaction to it.
1: Yeah, and then I stopped at cold turkey. I actually I was it was while I was taking it and I drove up here Mm -hmm. and I got super, super drunk, and I had to end up (laughs) sleeping up here with these dudes in this band. Um, Hey. (laughs) And um, so, like, the next day I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I'm done. So I just stopped at Cold Turkey, which I learned was just a really bad idea, (laughs) because...
2: Well, someone should have told you when you were on it that, you know, that's part of when you commit someone to a medication, it's a conversation. You know, if you mm-hmm. wanna stop it, please tell yes. me first. Let's discuss this.
1: Let's talk about how to go off.
2: Let's yeah. talk
3: about
1: what to replace mm-hmm. it with. Yeah, so eventually a bunch of really dramatic shit happened that I like don't want to get into. Yeah. You know. It's okay. That. Yes. Um my I guess she's not a doctor. My nurse practitioner. My nurse practitioner um was like Oh, um, let's put you on lamictal instead. So it was really difficult to transition. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it happened slowly. Um, but once I got on it, I was actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I stayed on it for like two or three years, I feel like. Maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, but I noticed that even though I was stable, I still kind of had this expectation. It was almost like I was waiting for the other shoe to drop mm-hmm. and I was just constantly thinking like oh what if I go crazy again like what that's if terrible what mm-hmm. if like the next cuz I was just so used to living my life and here's my ups and here's my downs right um something that I know is like so something that's associated with bipolar is when you're high you start these projects right. that you're really excited about yeah. and then you come down so I have all these like half finished like symphonies that i was writing and all these like half finished hip hop yeah. tracks that like to this day i'm like i'm going to go back
2: and finish. So um, i think that that speaks to lamictal's effectiveness that you didn't want to go back to that point so when you look back like it was working so well that you recognized where you were and you were fearful of going back there because most
0: people when they're in hypomanic episodes really really like them so much so that then when they're not in them they
1: can be wishing for them to return. Very much so, which is why I think that maybe I wasn't on the right dose. All this, I eventually was feeling really good, and I was like, well, I'm not going back. So I just stopped it. Thankfully, I didn't get the rash. Mm -hmm. The whole time, like, there was one morning I woke up with, like, a zit on my chin, and I was like, oh, my (laughs) God, it's happening. The rash is
2: happening. I wanted to actually say that you can get a drug rash, which is benign. Yes. But please still get it checked yeah. out because SJS is one of yeah. the most and, horrible
0: yeah. things. Anyone can get uh, start getting like hives and develop an allergy to medication. Um, but obviously with these medications that you're predisposed to SJS, you want to take everything as seriously as you can.
1: Mm. But um, I guess all of that is to say that right now I'm probably in the Best space I've ever been in in my life. I love it. While also unmedicated. Mm -hmm. So, this is something that we've talked about quite a few times is that I think I might have either been misdiagnosed or maybe I was just being really dramatic. Maybe this is just the way I am. I don't know. I don't think it's bipolar. Mm -hmm. But um, the whole time that I was living like on meds, off meds, I was just thinking to myself, like, this is this is a thing I'm going to have for life. And mm-hmm. then sort of labeling myself and expecting it. And like I said, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And then on top of that, I was sort of surrounding myself with the wrong people. Yes. Like I had a really terrible relationship with an abusive guy who we literally started out our relationship that should have been the biggest red flag by him being like, How do I know that you're serious and you're not just being manic about me? Oh, Um, God. Yeah. Manic about me. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um,
2: It's like a Lifetime
1: movie title. Yeah, No, like seriously. Like the worst. It's like a Hallmark movie
2: title. Um, I don't know how you would differentiate between Lifetime and Hallmark, but... (laughs) Hallmark Hallmark's even worse. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But that's for the next episode. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so it's just sort of like you can be with people who will just see you for who you are without this diagnosis or you have people who just want to categorize you and not really get to know you and then they sort of enable you in Mm -hmm. that way.
2: Yeah. And that's Mm -hmm. sort
1: of where I've fallen.
2: Mm -hmm. And their view of you, knowing Mm -hmm. what they know, is always like clouded, you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, it's somebody who, you know, didn't have a diagnosis, like that would be acceptable or not acceptable, but because they know, you know, this very personal private thing about you, you know, a kind of, I could see how that could just be, you know, not a good dynamic to have in a relationship.
1: Yeah, this person. um, So we, we, have like, we were breaking up for like a year. Oh. And there was one point where I told him that I was not on meds and he called the police to come How to cool.
0: my house. Oh, See, that's exactly, that is exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. And ridiculous. Using it
2: to... The, yeah. yeah.
0: I guess like my perspective is like, and this is the reason why I chose to focus on bipolar one, chose to focus on straight mania with where it's physiological and we can't identify anything else that's contributing to It's because those people... It is a lifelong illness. They do need to be on medications forever. This is something that they can't control, and if they do go off, they're just going to land themselves in terrible situations. But for people who potentially, like you, I would say everything you've told us, you meet criteria for a bipolar 2 diagnosis. I don't really like bipolar 2. I sort of like that. So the thing is, like, you know, obviously part of that diagnosis is depression, and I think depression, there are ways that people with therapy or other treatments can can control their depression. And then hypomania isn't always terrible. It, like, you know, their hypomania could be beneficial or you could note your triggers for it and like sort of control it. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, it's more of like the bipolar 2 I just consider these individuals more on the spectrum of a mood disorder and maybe if they haven't enough insight they get toxic people out of their lives they do enough work on themselves they really can be okay in not exhibiting any of these symptoms whereas like someone with straight bipolar one that person needs medications for life but for people who are elsewhere on the mood disorder spectrum it can be very circumstantial there's a lot of different things contributing and with a lot of insight and hard work can be you know, pretty stable and functional. Obviously, I think these individuals are going to be predisposed to more moods and sort of like a bit of like moodiness than other people. Mm-hmm. And they're always going to have that more intensely than others, but they can manage it.
1: I'm thinking like, hmm, it's dark and cold in New York. I could go for some hypomania right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So
2: <laughs> I have a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're, you're, when you're describing what you thought Erica could have been going on with you, you sought help and, and you questioned your friends for not really kind of pointing it out. We've talked about this before. <coughs> um, the two words are ego and egodystonic. Do people with bipolar disorder know that they have it or do they think that this is just, this is okay. This is meshing with their life. Do they have insight Um, so I, I just have to ask because I feel like the fact that you knew something was up, I don't know if that necessarily meshes with the diagnosis.
0: So this is great because I had wanted to bring this up, but I totally forgotten about it until you said it right now. I was going to add it into my little notes for myself, but I wanted to say that. So bipolar one would be ego Syntonic. I hope I'm saying this correctly, ego syntonic. we Well, just say what it like. So essentially the idea is when someone is bipolar one, they want not understand that there's an issue and they will be happy with the way that they are. They're content. Yes. In the way are. They are happy. They don't want to be in the hospital. They don't want treatment. God forbid you say they have something wrong with them. They are going to argue with you. You're the one at fault. But, and that's sort of why with psychosis and mania, and the reason I hit on these first is because as a psychiatrist, it's Mm -hmm. your job to, you know... Shed light. Yes, it's your job to know that treating the patient, even if it's against their will, is better for them than not treating them. mm -hmm. And you can't go along with their wishes because they're, they're not in the right mindset and their wishes would result in harm to themselves or others. Whereas like the more things that are maybe on the mood disorder spectrum or depression that aren't specifically mania or psychosis, these would be ego dystonic, I believe. you know something is wrong and and it bothers you. Yeah, and it bothers you and you Mm -hmm. want help. And these are people who will be happy to go see their psychiatrist and get help. Generally, right, um, because they they don't like how they feel, and they they understand that there's an issue with it. So that's why you Mm -hmm. said
2: that you thought Erica's diagnosis would have been more consistent with bipolar two. Yes,
0: Yes. which I don't like, and I I like just saying like mood disorder.
2: Okay, I think Uh, unless otherwise not otherwise specified, right? Yes, yes, (laughs) yes.
1: (laughs) I think it also really speaks to the power of just. Being conscious. Yes. Even before I had my diagnosis um, from like being like practicing meditation and things like that, you're just sort of taught to always be aware of your emotions. So even before I had my diagnosis, I did lots of mood journal- journaling. I don't know if you've ever heard of sachet, which is like um, sadness, anger, um, scare, happiness, mm-hmm. and tenderness. And the whole idea behind all of this, it's like very new agey, but it's just that every human emotion can be traced back to one of these five. And so if you really distill it, you're feeling one or two of these at any time. So there was a point in my life where I was just writing one or two words in a journal every day before bed and I would notice like, Oh, I was really like sad and tender for like six months at a time and then I was happy and scared and so it was also sort of contributing to that like maybe there is something wrong with me yeah right I, it's like I don't like it wasn't so it wasn't so much like I don't like feeling this way because like you said, the hypomania feels wonderful. The sadness feels something that, even though no one likes to be sad, it's something that I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But it's more so the up and down. Yeah, right. That I have so
2: you're taking with. an inventory constantly of your emotions, and not not everybody does that. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so what you're really speaking to is what we term insight. Yes. And, and so. When someone is manic or psychotic, by definition, they have poor insight. Mm -hmm. They cannot, they're like part of it is they are not going to understand that someone thinks wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Now, someone can be depressed, hypomanic, and they can still have poor insight, but there's the possibility that they can also have very good insight, understand that, you know, this is going on with me and this is not right and have and be aware of that. But by definition, if someone is manic-psychotic, those things, then they, they have no capability of insight into what's going on. Obviously, if, it's, if they're stable and controlled, there's possibility for regained insight, but not when they're in the midst of those episodes. Right. So one other thing I wanted to touch on was, and obviously we've really gone into what bipolar is, but... I wanted to talk about how this word is so misused in popular culture. Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. So many. It's so it's very upsetting to me. And I'm sure many people who are either aware of mental illness or suffer from mental illness themselves. But this idea that like, you know, you'll see memes or whatever and it'll make Like, oh, that person's so bipolar, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they're clearly not referring to what bipolar is. right What
2: they're describing is the cycling of one mood, one extreme to another. Like, oh, you know, during the holidays, for example, I'm so bipolar. I'm excited about the holidays, but I'm stressed. And oh, my God, I can't get my. And I get we all know what you're talking about. But mm-hmm. It's not, it's, it's not appropriate, it right.
1: and I've actually gotten to the point where I hear people say it at work, and I say, "No, you need to try again, honey." Because yeah, not, no, like, no, it's I okay. I
0: will say things like uh, I speak out, but. I think people might be more cautious about what they say in front of a psychiatrist. So who knows? Yeah, if they know. But the thing is too, so what people are referring to, and feel free to use the appropriate terminology. When the way people use it, what they're referring to is emotional Mm lability. So being emotionally (sighs) labile is when your moods flip really quickly from like anger, happy, sad, blah, blah, blah. Like if you're PMSing. Yes. Which (laughs) is also a symptom and it is the symptom that is most, um, I think, sensitive would be the appropriate term for borderline personality disorder. So lots of times when people are calling someone bipolar or saying something is bipolar, they might actually be referring to symptoms that are consistent with borderline personality disorder, which we can definitely get into extensively at a so future time. But we can also say some things now. i guys want to go for I'm gonna it. I'm going to blow your, yeah. your
2: noggins yeah. right off. What doesn't help is that B bipolar D disorder does not it does not help that borderline personality disorder BPD BPD if yeah. you're writing that in your notes it you can know, go like, it can stand for bipolar yes, or borderline borderline and personality you, disorder yeah
0: yeah so I always I always write both out I yes. would never not write out because there's two usually. uh, I think nowadays if you are in psychiatry, BPD would stand for the borderline personality disorder, but I, I never use it. Please write because, it out. Because, you know, I don't want, there's such different things. Um, you know, going back to everything that we've talked about, like we'll get into borderline you know, and in the future, but it's very different than bipolar.
2: Let's get into all the personality disorders. Yes, we I'm will. So excited. We will
0: do a personality disorder episode for sure.
2: I no, I want to. I want to piggyback off of the, you know, the re- people using bipolar to you know describe something that's not. Um, when people say that they're OCD. And we talked about this yeah. before the episode. It's It just, I want to be like, no, no, no. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're describing. Just because you like to clean and you like things orderly does not mean that you have a serious debilitating mental illness that is very hard to treat. And, yeah. and, and I... Like I feel like we're we're preaching, we're on our high horse right now, but really just be very sensitive about the words you
0: use. It's one thing to use the term depression or anxiety more casually because I think most people recognize that you're not always suggesting that you have a disorder. You're just suggesting that you have moments of feeling depressed or moments of feeling anxious. But when you're using a label that is specifically for a serious mental health disorder that can cause people so much distress, so many issues in their life, you know, to, to throw like it around so casually is so upsetting. like you, you wouldn't know? do
2: it with cancer. Yeah. you wouldn't be like, oh my, oh my god, cancer. like my, you wouldn't. And I don't mean to compare have the like two. I like
1: an actual like personal story yeah. to like kind of please go share. along with it. And I think that a lot of it is because like depression, it's not really stigmatized. Like mm-hmm. it's like oh, someone's sad. Um, anxiety, it's like not really stigmatized. It's right, like, because oh, you
2: could be anxious but about bipolar. One thing. Yeah. is
1: always like oh, it's. They're like they're shooting up heroin, like they're yeah, which is totally
0: like that's what upsets me too. The connotations that that like go along with the bipolar. They're you know this poor individual who actually has bipolar has like no control over it. They were
1: essentially born with this disorder. But people always say they're like, oh well, I I can't even tell you like you you know people that are in my life personally who aren't in my life anymore because they're like, well, it's not a good excuse. Sorry, yeah,
0: like. And sometimes things aren't excuses; they're just explanations. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's so like, deep. I think mm-hmm. I think part of like all of psychiatry, and part of it is like when you go on the journey to become a psychiatrist. Not only are you trying to understand other people, but you're also trying to understand yourself. And there's a lot of you have to look into yourself yeah and be healthy yourself before you can really
2: you know do the same for others so it yeah, quote house of god the book that everybody must just like drop what you're doing and, and go read right now when you show up at a you know at a sick patient's bed that's you know code blue and everything first check your own pulse yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> make exactly. sure you, you yourself are ready to deal with what you're about to yeah
0: to mm. deal with which is I why like yeah, yeah. Yeah. So back in the day, it used to be mandatory that to become a psychiatrist, you had to go through like serious therapy yourself. And nowadays it's like, it's like not really stigmatized to say you're in therapy, which is like weird that it would even be stigmatized. But I do have some co-residents that don't want to talk about how they're in therapy. And I'm, I think that's ridiculous. I've done plenty of therapy and I will continue to do so for the rest of my life.
2: So that's, I have to say my, my, so basically, I, you know, I'll be very open about my own mental health issues, but we actually have a psychiatrist who is designated to help employees mm-hmm. so that you don't have, it's not, there's no notes in your chart. Like, it, it's very yeah private. And I called the covering physician for the specific day of the week, and I was like, hi, you know, I'm calling because I need a refill, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, what? H- who are you? And I'm like, well, no, you're covering for, you know, the, the doctors today he's like oh oh yeah yeah no it's just that nobody ever uses nobody's ever called me oh. and i'm like oh god that's so yeah sad. this is a great resource like yeah it, it's it's
0: people have fears understandably so because there can be people who are assigned to these roles um that can who will advantage. who yeah. will yeah report people report physicians over things they shouldn't necessarily report you know i'd
2: rather go to a physician who i knew was getting help Yes. And one that wasn't mm. yes exactly and
0: like you know there's a lot of fear I think with me and Ali on this podcast about what we can be open about because everything is so stigmatized for physicians like very extremely so even amongst psychiatrists which is incredibly unfortunate because we know <laughs> most of anyone, that people are imperfect and struggle with things. And I do know s- terrible stories of like physicians who just wanted treatment for the depression and then got put in some like physician monitoring program with physicians who had serious substance use issues or had sexually assaulted patients or things like that. So people do get concerned about being open about these things, and it's incredibly unfortunate. And I hope that this will change in the decades to come.
1: And it's sad because I feel like if it's not going to st- – change with you and your line of work then it's not gonna change for anyone else yes
0: because how can we say that these that our patients shouldn't be stigmatized if we are still stigmatizing ourselves right Mm. god
1: so that being said erica do you have anything else you would like to share with us um. No, I do not. I feel like I've already given way TMI. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> Erica will be back on future episodes for sure. Whenever we have our hot psych topics that we want someone to give some juicy goodness for, <laughs> she'll be back. Yeah. So, yeah, personal anecdotes. Yeah. No worries. You'll have her back on. Yeah. So now we are going to bring Jonah over because he can share a little bit about...
3: I'm sorry. He's just the cutest cat. Yeah. Like okay. I'm so distracted how, how by this. How about you talk about?
0: You know, it's been very difficult for me having to keep this going with you guys.
3: My cat. <laughs> distracted very cute. by cats. Yeah. Oh
0: god. <laughs> I've had to pretend like nothing is going on so that I'm not interrupting the podcast. This is.
2: The, oh my cats are going to kill me because I know they're listening. But this is like the world's cutest cat. I'm so
3: sorry. <laughs> Jonah
0: has a very cute cat. We are recording in his apartment.
3: <sighs> yeah, he's interested in all you guys
0: good i'm glad he like went in front of my face in front of my microphone several times <laughs> and i had to pretend that like i wasn't eating a cat's tail while talking
2: yeah and he kind of forms his body like around the microphone so like your head yeah. is kind of sitting on his back but his it's just oh my god
3: yeah he's very non-destructive he never tips anything over he's very delicate
2: yeah yeah. yeah he did a good job
3: <laughs>
0: but he is being pretty cute
3: he's pretty sassy yes
0: yes yeah. <laughs> So we brought Jonah over because, you know, we heard Erica's story, which is sort of like maybe prematurely getting labeled as bipolar. Not that what she went through wasn't super distressing, as we discussed. But we wanted to bring Jonah on because his dad is diagnosed bipolar and has a story that's more typically consistent with symptoms of mania and what we would expect for bipolar one
3: yeah so i was young when a lot of this stuff happened so i'm not going to remember everything yeah um but there's a few things that definitely stick out one is more of like a pattern one is like a direct overt i would say by the book bipolar story Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um overall like we just went through some tough times in my family with money and uh in the 90s my father uh Ended up in a a crazy situation with his job. And a lot of things kind of, I think, went poorly or wrong at the same time. And he kind of freaked out. And he was undiagnosed, untreated for a bit. And it caused quite a bit of chaos in my family. Um, Again, I don't remember absolutely everything. But one story that stands out is (laughs) um, he took my mother to... A jewelry store and we're really he's really into like rocks and minerals and gemstones and stuff so he thought some ruby ring was beautiful that like some giant ruby ring that like you know like a ruby the size of like a golf ball or some crazy thing that was some you know insane amount of money and he's like isn't that cool and she was like no that's ostentatious and ugly Mm -hmm. and gaudy and tacky and too much and then of course he had one of his swings and went there and bought it
0: (laughs) And how much
2: was it again? I
3: think it was like 50 grand. Yeah. And that was like in the <gasps> mid-90s. So do the math with inflation. And
2: And I, I just, <laughs> what kind of sticks out to me about that anecdote is that he wasn't hearing her. She was saying she didn't like yeah. it, she didn't want it, but it didn't matter.
3: Yeah, she was quite mad at him. Because, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, at the time, I don't think she she've obviously fully understood what was happening either. But, yeah. So he would do things like that and freak out about, you know, and like act like money was no object and like be like oh yeah i'll do anything for my wife who i love and all that and then he would do other ridiculous shit in a completely other direction and like just with money like um we would be sitting at home and like order takeout food or delivery food and we'd be like what do you want he's like nothing and he'd just be mad because we were spending money on delivery (laughs) instead of going to the supermarket but he'll go spend a 50 spend fifty thousand dollars on a ruby
2: yeah Hmm. yeah so
3: sort of like that that both like Money was a huge factor in this particular instance Mm -hmm. because of the job situation. But, like, yeah, like, the total giant swings in either direction where he doesn't want to spend $3.
2: Those things are are inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's really, you know, based off that story alone, that's consistent with a manic episode and that's consistent with bipolar disorder. So how long did this go on before, like, he landed himself in a hospital or... Anything like that?
3: Well, I think I don't think there was enough understanding of these things at that time yeah. compared to what there is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't speak to that, like the full exposure of these types of things and people being alert for these types of warning yeah. signs now. But like, he ended up with a psychiatrist too. I think. I mean, I again, this is just my own view of it, but I think he was kind of guinea pigged a little bit. Yeah. Um he was on a lot of different things for eight years. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that, um, I was just asking my brother before this because I wanted to make sure I had some of my facts straight. Yeah, Um, But uh, I think now he's on LaMictal. Yeah. He's been on that since like the early 2000s, um, 2003 or four. And I I think he he thinks it's really done something good for him.
2: Your (laughs) father thinks it's done something good? Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. Um,
3: And he said, uh, I guess that's supposed to be, I don't know, It's not typical to use that drug. It's a seizure medication or something like that. No, no,
0: no. We went into earlier. um, Yes. Oh, and I did not mention, but most of the mood stabilizers are also seizure medications. Yeah. We didn't really hit on that, but they've Mm -hmm. been found to have these other benefits. Lamictal, as we touched on earlier... It's mostly shown to have good efficacy for bipolar depression, but that doesn't yeah. mean there are people whose manic episodes can't be stabilized with it. It's always on an individual basis what works for one person does yeah. not work for another. You know, you start at the top of the algorithm yeah. and you work your way to what you work your way to, but that you know there I, are anecdotal stories like this. Yeah. And I, I have
2: to jump in right here and, and plug neurology People don't just have one thing, you know, one disorder. People can have seizures and and they can have multiple things. And I know there's a lot of times when we're trying to decide which seizure medication. We're like, well, Depakote would be good because there's also a little bit of, um, you know, this person gets agitated at night. Mm Depakote, oh my God, it's my favorite medication. It's good for headaches, um, seizures, mood, agitation. It does have its drawbacks. But it's, yeah, we already discussed. I but mean, you can treat well. multiple things with one medication. Yeah. That's amazing.
3: Yeah, I mean, his was always uh, back in those days. We heard the term like manic depression and manic and mania yeah. thrown yeah. around a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and clearly, there's a huge link to depression, which runs in my family on both mm-hmm. sides.
0: And did your so. dad also have depressive episodes?
3: Yes. Okay. Um, but I do know that like during that whole c- kind of like experimental phase where think he was being treated like a guinea pig a little bit to figure out what would work or what was going on. Mm -hmm. So I guess he was on SSRIs, obviously atypicals, antipsychotics. He was on lithium. Right. Mm -hmm. So So he he went through the whole
0: gamut.
2: Right. And And there's something to be said about treating, mm -hmm, diagnosing through treating. If you have these symptoms and I give you this medication and you get better, that must mean that this is what you had. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which is not actually how you're supposed to do of course it. You not. should well, yeah, really come up with a thorough assessment of the patient. You know, obviously people can have reactions to medications that then clue you into a different diagnosis, but I think in this case the it sounds like the proper diagnosis could have been made from the get-go.
3: Well, the diagnosis sure yeah, but some of the steps that it took to get it, you know, getting him to something that was working, like my to my knowledge, he hasn't really had much mania in quite some time yeah. since he started on that drug. But yeah. there were some crazy moments where he where he was on lots of different things that I don't think were having good combined. Yeah, like someone.
0: an SSRI would really not be a good choice with someone for someone. With right, mania. and
2: and because is it true that it's it has something to do with kind of lowering inhibition and unmasking?
0: Well, I mean serotonin pulls you out of depression. If you're already manic, you're clearly not depressed. And now you just have severe mania, yay. Not yay, obviously that was sarcastic. She
2: rolled her eyes for those (laughs) who didn't see.
3: Well, I don't know, I think that, I just named several different types of drugs and I think that there was all different iterations and combinations of those things Mm -hmm. that were extremely detrimental to him in moments. Mm -hmm. And a few times landed him in the hospital and once landed him in the psych ward. Yeah. feeling basically being enacting intensely suicidal. Yeah. And to my knowledge, like I think what happened is they stopped those medications and then like a few days later he was fine. Yeah. Like yeah. it was like blatantly just
2: the so trial and error in the in the right direction.
3: Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, but it's I mean, I'm sensitive to it cuz it's my dad and what? I saw him go through this, but like ultimately yes, he he landed on a drug that he's been stable for a long time and he's always been very self-aware and I think that helps but yeah but I think like seeing him go through that like was extremely painful and I think if if people that are listening are experiencing any any experiencing any of this themselves or seeing someone that they care about go through it like it's not just like oh you'll get on a drug and be okay like there's prop there may be yeah. some trials that need mm-hmm. to happen and like yeah not it's not an easy path always yeah like he was in some really bad places and if
2: one of those medications worked for a reason we can't explain you know we don't know everything
0: but what we do need to know is that in both of these stories there are some clear medication choices that don't necessarily make sense so part of it is if you have a prescriber you know you're often putting blind trust into this person that they know more than you But unfortunately, a lot of people do not have the knowledge base to be making the appropriate decisions, Um, you know, and that's why we do our best to, you know, when I'm picking a doctor, when someone else is picking a doctor, we're going to try to pick who we think is best, but oftentimes we are not, we are not, we don't have the appropriate knowledge or anything to make that decision. It's like you're blindly picking someone.
2: Yeah, yeah. I would say just
3: between this and my own personal experience, obviously, is to pick someone who you actually think is listening to you. Yeah. Who actually is like not treating you like something that they're, they're hearing is like a, a use case, mm. but they're actually yeah. using their knowledge in a way where they're adapting their knowledge to you as a person.
2: Yeah. Do your research. Self-select. Ask around. But I will say that
0: there are plenty of people in psych who can sound like they're listening to you and just really not have the appropriate... Training or experience or whatever, or maybe they have all the best training, but they're still like wild and doing things that no other psychiatrist would agree with. So, I think if you do know medical people, the best way, or even if you don't know medical people, in that case, go to your PCP, but the best way is referral. So who who other people trust who have a little bit more background in this type of thing? Um, I think that's going to be the best case scenario. So,
2: and if your job, uh, your employer has a wellness program, an assistance program, please don't be afraid to use it because it is very hard to schedule appointments, and it may be hard to find you know providers in your area. If your job has anything please take advantage of it mm-hmm. and you know, your mental health is the most, you know, it's so important. Yes.
0: So thank you, Jonah. I don't yeah. know if we pointed out, but your dad has been stable on the McDoll since the early. '00s. so there, so, oh, so there are stories of, you know, good outcomes once people get the right appropriate Absolutely. medication. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, it can be a long path to get there, but it's quite possible and oftentimes people with bipolar disorders tend to be pretty intelligent in my opinion the patients that i've met i think there's some of the more intelligent patients so once they are stabilized on medication have a good support system i think they can have really good outcomes absolutely so anyways thank thank you for for this consult on bipolar and we will be back soon